Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for this beautiful weather you've blessed us with, that we can enjoy your creation. I'm thankful, Lord, that this morning that we can come here and observe communion and uh, lift your name and praises and hear your word. I pray now, Lord, as we spend time in your word, that it helps us to kind of extinguish those negative traits, the things that we that are negative, that are not uh, building up to others or edifying to you, Lord. I pray that we would learn ways to uh, focus our attention on who you are and what you've done and how to live in uh, the way that you desire us to. So I pray now as we spend time in your word that it encourages us and inspires us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in week six of our series, A Better Way. We're taking negative traits and finding out what the better way is from the scriptures. So today we're going to talk about the negative trait of self-promotion. Okay, the culture we live in, it kind of lends itself to this, right? It lends itself to this in shameless self-promotion, right? We can stamp our place in the world through the multiple social media outlets, and honestly, it's become accepted, really, to promote ourselves. So on social media, we could share pictures of ourselves, what we're doing, where we're going, what we're eating, who we're with, how hard we're working, how much we're relaxing, uh, what we bought, what we didn't buy, what we want, all these different things, right? Social media has kind of lended itself to self-promotion. Hey, everybody, look at me. We post things in hopes that people will like those posts, engage with those posts, and say things that we want them to say. Now, some people in our culture have gotten to the point in which everything they do needs a post. You know anybody like that? Okay, my favorite ones are the concert posts, right? They always sound so good, don't they? When people post the videos of their concerts that they go to. So people have different reasons, obviously, for posting. And I'm not here to judge that. But it's not only on social media that people promote themselves. Some people promote themselves by telling or showing other people all the good things that they do. Um, why do people do things like this? Or maybe a better question is, why do we feel the need to do things like this? Well, the truth is... Self-promotion is not something that most people would admit. Like if some, most of us would say, I don't try to promote myself. And some of us might not even realize we actually are trying to promote ourselves. So if this becomes a problem for us, we have to get to really the root of the problem. And you probably recognize this word, right? Narcissism. Basically, this, this is the problem. This is the problem. It's an excessive interest in, at or, in or admiration of oneself and a strong need for admiration from others. Now, there's two ways this works, right? There's two ways this works. The first is we think really highly of ourselves. So we want others to think really highly of us, right? So we have this high view of ourselves, so we want to make sure everybody else knows, you know, this is the way you should think about me. The second way is we have a low view of ourselves, which makes us insecure. So in order to hide that, we let people know the good things so they gain admiration of us and then they say things to make us feel better about ourselves. And basically, we're hoping to extinguish the insecurities that we have. Now, I'm not a psychologist. It's a complicated issue. But what I'm here to tell you today is there's a better way. But before we do that, I want to point your attention to a parable that Jesus taught or Jesus told. And it really is about a narcissist. And here's how it goes. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So basically the reason Jesus told this parable is because some people were trusting in themselves. They thought they were good enough. So it says this, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So let me just look at the greater point of this parable is, in order to be saved, we need to admit that we need to be saved, okay? The Pharisee thought, I am so good, I don't need to be saved. I'm not a sinner like these other people, I don't need to be saved. So the first step in the gospel, and you've heard this from me before and from other preachers before, is you need to admit that you actually need to be saved. You need to humble yourself and admit, I am a sinner and I need a savior, when you're able to do that, then you realize this. Who is my Savior? Well, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, and he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The scriptures tell us this, that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures say, all who believe will have eternal life. Like Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When we humble ourselves enough to say that we need Jesus and we trust in him, then Jesus exalts us. We'll be exalted for eternity with him because basically we now are saved. But the Pharisee not only was trusting in his good works, he was also promoting himself publicly, right? He had this public prayer. It was like kind of like the first social media. He was like, hey, everybody, look at all the amazing stuff that I do. Look at me. I'm great. And the icing on the cake the icing on the cake here is he's basically, good thing I'm not like this loser, okay? Basically, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look at me, I'm great. Good thing I'm not like this guy. This is a parable, and it's an extreme example. And most of us are not like this. I mean, we can look at this and be like, that Pharisee, right? We can look at this and, and realize, like, I'm not like this. But what I'd like to do next is I'd like to help you evaluate if you have narcissistic tendencies. Now, when we go through these things, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. You're, look at yourself. Evaluate yourself. But I know that you're going to be evaluating other people, and that's okay, okay? That's okay. Do that in your head. Don't nudge them. Don't point at them. But when you learn this, right? Here's what's going to happen. Not only is this going to be helpful for you, and this is the first, right? I want you to focus in on yourself, but it's actually going to be helpful for you to understand and interact with somebody in your life that might be very narcissistic. And we all have them, right? They're out there. The people are out there. So in Psychology Today, there is an article with six ways that you can kind of assess if you have narcissistic tendencies. So the first way is this, unilateral listening. What does that mean? Basically, it's what I want 
and what I have to say are all that matters when we talk together. When we make decisions, what you want, your concerns, your feelings, these are merely like kind of side notes. But what I want is what needs to happen. When we discuss issues, my opinions are right, yours are obviously wrong or minimal, okay? I, I'm not really that concerned about yours. And basically, if you expect me to have, if, if, if you expect me to let you have input, you're kind of undermining what I kind of want to do. Now, narcissistic listening dismisses, ignores, minimizes, and renders irrelevant other people's concerns. A tone of contempt, basically, in particular, is a strong um, narcissistic indicator. It's basically like, you know, if you're making a decision, if you're talking out, and then you're like, well, he wants to do this. She wants to do this, but I want to do that, okay? That, that would be an example. So the next is this. It's all about me, okay? I know more. I know better. I'm more interesting. When we talk, it's mostly about me. In conversations, I take up most of the airtime. Almost all of my chatter is about what I've done, what I'm thinking. If you begin to talk about yourself, I'm going to always link it back to me, right? I'm going to always link it back to me. And if the focus of the discussion goes away from me, I'll make sure it gets back. When I want something, I need to have it. Uh, never mind. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's all about me. I'm big. I'm important. And you're merely here. Okay, You're merely here. Some of you are like, man, it's going to be scary to go home today. <laughs> the next where it gets even worse. The rules don't apply to me. I can cut in line when others are waiting. I can cheat on my taxes. I can ignore the rules. Um, the rules are for other people to keep in line, but they're not for me. And basically, I am above the rules. The next is this. Your concerns are really criticisms of me because I hate being criticized. I can criticize others and often do, but if you criticize me, you're hurting my feelings, so I'm gonna hurt you back. If you say you're unhappy, that's a way of you indirectly criticizing me. That's a way of you indirectly criticizing me. Since it's all about me, your feelings must be about what I'm doing because the world revolves around me. And if you make a statement, everything is an attack or a personal or a criticism of me. If you have a concern about something I'm doing, I see it as a personal attack and it's not helpful to me. Criticism hurts, and because narcissists think everything is about them, they hear others' attempts to talk about personal feelings as veiled criticisms of them. And I think this might be the last one. Okay. I'm right. You're wrong. So when things go wrong between us, it's your fault, right? It's your fault. Um, I can't be expected to apologize or admit any blame. I, I'm above others and above reproach. If you expect me to say how I've contributed to a problem, I'll get mad at you. See, narcissists think if I've done one thing that's not right, I must be all bad. That's what's going on in the head of somebody who's thinking like this. If I've done one thing that's wrong, then I'm a bad person, which is why they're so resistant to admitting any wrong things. Whatever the source of the sensitivity to criticism and difficulty admitting mistakes, they're basically, they don't, there's never a, 
Like, I'm wrong. It's kind of like, remember, this is a good service for this. Fonzie, remember? <laughs> he, he couldn't say he was wrong, right? He was a little narcissistic, don't you think? I mean, come on, it's Fonzie, right? <laughs> they have a tendency to blame others when anything goes wrong. Blaming and fault-finding in others feel safer to the narcissist than looking to discover, to learn, and to grow from their own you know, shortcomings and difficulties. Oh, yeah, this is the last one. When I get angry, it's because of you, okay? You made me mad. You didn't listen to me. You criticized. You're trying to control me. You're, your view is wrong. My view is right. I don't need to apologize. You're the reason why I fly off the handle. You're the reason. You see how this goes? You see how this goes? The narcissist often shows they're the type of person that maybe they have major charm and social agility, but at times, these seemingly super confident people can be quick to anger and blame their anger on other people. So here's the thing. You might have some narcissist. I mean, if you check all the boxes, please get help, okay? <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's basically what I can tell you. Um, <laughs> it's going to do us all a favor, really. Um, <laughs> But you know what, maybe, maybe some of the boxes here are checked. Maybe you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's hard for a narcissist to admit, right? So maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, oh boy, I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> so if you have narcissistic tendencies, okay? Like if, if you're leaning any way to the negative towards some of these things, basically you're, you know, you're the type of person that's gonna seek to promote yourself. So what I want to teach you today is this. The better way is to be a light for Jesus. You know, assuming you are a believer, you have come to the realization at this point in your life, I hope that it's not all about you. Okay? It's not all about you. Okay? When, when you see a two-year-old toddler, it's all about them. And it's cute, right? When you see a 35-year-old man and it's all about him, not cute anymore, right? Okay, not cute anymore. So our lives should be, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be a living sacrifice, meaning we live for Jesus, not ourselves. And if you can imagine a church or a group of Christians that everybody said, you know what? My main goal is to be a light, to live for Jesus and not myself. So how do we do that? The first way we do that is change why you do things. We're conditioned to do good things either for ourselves or for others. And sometimes the things we do for others kind of promotes our reputation, right? You do something nice. People think you're a nice person. You feel good about yourself. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But basically what happens is, is when we get those feelings, it's kind of like the dopamine thing. You know, we get those feelings, it feels good, so we do more, so people say more nice things about us. And so the why we do those good things becomes kind of like not, I'm doing a good thing for the sake of doing the good thing because it's the nice, right, kind, loving thing to do. I'm doing the good thing so that others see. Jesus tells us, yes, you should do good things, but the end goal of doing those things should be being a light for him. 
So the end goal, when you say like, oh, I want to help this person out. I want to do this. I want to serve this person. I want to be kind to this person. The end goal, what should be rolling around the back of our mind is, how is this going to show them who Jesus is? Our scripture reading this morning was uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So now Jesus is saying this. When you do good things, this is the reason why. This should be our main motivation. We want people to know who Jesus is. We want them to see the light that we have. The fact that Jesus called us out of darkness into his light, and now we want to shine that to other people. Paul tells us that we should do good in all areas of life. This passage says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And we use this verse a lot when we're talking about work, especially secular careers, right? So if you're in a secular career, like I'm a pastor, but there's missionaries and people say, oh, those are the people that serve the Lord with their job. The rest of us go to regular work and, um, and then, then we come and, and we do the church thing and we find a ministry in church. No, what the scriptures actually teach is whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Imagine if you went to work tomorrow, Monday morning, and you have your boss maybe that you don't even really like, you don't agree with. Obviously, the guy's not doing a good job, and you could do an infinitely better job than your boss, right? And you're just looking, and you're like, why would I do something good? Because that's just going to help him and his you know, reputation or his company or whatever, or her you know, reputation or her company, whatever. But basically, what Paul says is, listen, you... As a believer, in order to be a light, you work heartily as if Jesus is your boss. And guess what? Jesus is your boss. So now think about your workplace. If you go to work and you work like Jesus is your boss, what happens with all the other employees? Right? Some are going to criticize, obviously, because that's what people do. Okay? Some are going to be upset and say, oh, you're making us look bad because you're doing such a good job. Right? But others might say, huh. That's interesting. There's a guy or gal that talks about Jesus, and they work really hard. They're actually a good worker, and you know what? We don't even really like the bosses or managers, and this person's still doing the right thing no matter what. Guess what happens? All of a sudden, you become a light. You know, but some of us really don't care what others think, so we work or do anything else we might do. We fall into the trap of doing the bare minimum. Okay. Have you ever fallen in that trap? Maybe you don't care what other people think. Maybe you're like, I didn't check any of those boxes on the narcissistic little test, okay? And I don't really care what people think, so I'm going to do the bare minimum because I'm lazy. But we need to change why we're doing whatever we do. That's basically the point. We need to change the why. The why should be, I'm doing this for the Lord. Not because I feel like it, not because I want to do it. I'm doing this because the Lord desires me to do it, and he put me in this place, whatever it is, whatever is work, school, raising kids, whatever it is. I'm doing this for the Lord, so my goal is to do the best that I possibly can. Now, sometimes we don't know what the good thing is to do, right? We don't, sometimes we don't know. We're, maybe, maybe you're thinking, like, I, I want to do good. I kind of have a desire to be a light, but I don't really know what to do. 
So the next thing that we have to look at is this. We need to follow the word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Obviously, I've been banging this drum for a very, very long time. The way you find out what God wants you to do is by communing with him, right? Communicating with him. We pray, we read his word. We follow the word, right? We pray, we ask God for guidance, we follow the word. Another passage that talks about that is, um, is some, later in Psalm 119. It says, The unfolding of your word gives what? Light. It imparts understanding to the simple, okay? Do you know who the simple are? Us. Unless you're a narcissist, then you're not simple, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. It imparts, like, we don't know what to do, right? We don't know, we don't know our way around. But then the Lord gives us the way. He shows us the way through his word. That's why it's so difficult when people think they're so educated, think they're so wise, think they're so smart, but take the Bible and stick it over here and say, I don't need that. That's a big, huge problem, okay? That's a pride problem. Sometimes it's narcissism, it's self-promotion, whatever it is. They think they know better than the God of this universe. Think about that for a second. They think they know better than the God of this universe. The one who implanted the ear and implanted the eye in each one of us, gave us a brain to think and reason, gave us a soul, created everything. They know better. They know better. So God gives us his word so that we know what to do and how to live. It illuminates tr tr truth. It guides us into what we should do and what we should not do. When we know those things, we can choose to ignore them by turning our backs on them and turning our backs on sound wisdom. But guess what? When we don't ignore them, when we follow them, there are actually blessings that follow. And I'm sure many of you have put this into practice in your life. I know I'm, I'm, I'm like scanning the church, and I know there's many believers here that have been believers for decades. And, you know, maybe early on in your Christian life, you really didn't follow God's word because you didn't really know. You're like, oh, I'm scared of it. I don't know how to read it, like whatever. And then you started to like put things into practice, and you're like, huh, interesting. This really actually works. And there's actual blessings that follow, which brings us to the next way that encourages us to be a light. And that is this. Realize the benefits. Here's what happens. When we're self-promoting and narcissistic, we think the benefits are this. People see me. People appreciate me. People love me. And I'm worth something. You know that's a really sad place to live. That's a really sad place to live. If you're living there, I need to be seen by people. I need to be appreciated. I need to be told I'm worth something. If you are that needy that you need people, and, and trust me, I believe that as fellow believers, we should be encouraging one another. We should be saying kind things to one another. We should be reminding people that we're worth something because Jesus said we're worth something, right? But we shouldn't live as if we need the approval of other people. You get that? We shouldn't live as if we, and that's the problem with self-promotion. And that's why, you know, we're always so surprised when, you know, some very rich and very famous person takes their own life. Everybody's like, they had it all, right? They had it all and they took their own life. Well, the problem was, was I mean, obviously I can't make a commentary on all the different situations that's happened in, but I think a deep-rooted problem is they were 
seeking after something that would never bring true fulfillment. You know, validate me. You know, I, I often wonder, I, you know, I often wonder when you see these, like, especially, like, and not to be critical of, like, people that are in the limelight and famous and stuff like that, but, like, you ever, you ever think to yourself when, you know, an artist or an actor or something, they keep on, like, you know, producing stuff, and they have, like, millions and millions and millions of dollars, and you're thinking, like, why do they keep doing this, okay? I think they have enough money. But then you come to the realization it's really not about money. Maybe sometimes it's about love for what they do, but maybe other times it's just they want to be seen. They want to be promoted. They want people to look to them in a certain way. But the truth is this, and we can't keep that up. We can't keep that up. And most of the time, the accolades of others will not fulfill you like you thought it would. That's basically what's going on. So listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to him saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you know what the benefit of following Jesus is? One, obviously you're not walking in darkness and seeing and, and, and not seeing clearly what the Lord has. But the, the real benefit is this, but will have the light of life. We'll have the light, like God will illuminate, like why you're here. I mean, people are searching for purpose, right? People are searching for purpose or looking, where do I fit in? What do I need to do? What's my place in this world? Well, I'll tell you your place. If you're a believer, it really brings us to the final point, And that is really living with purpose. Our purpose on this earth is to not only trust in Jesus, but it's also share the light of Jesus with others. If you're chasing after other things, and there's other things that we need to do, there's other goals that we need to accomplish, and, you know, there's things in life that, you know, we're called to do, right? But our main purpose really is to be a light, okay? To be a light, to share that light with other people. Look at what John uh, says in 1 John 1.5. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Now think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. If we spend our life trying to promote ourselves, what are we doing with Jesus? We're kind of pushing him behind us. We're kind of pushing him behind us, and we're not living for the purposes. But when we live to promote him, when we live to be a light for him in this world, here's what happens. He gets the glory, and not only that, the people around us, what happens with them? They benefit, right? They benefit. I mean, think about all the people that you cross paths with each day. Think about all the people that you're friends with on social media. Think about all these people. What would you like to say to them if you had their undivided attention? If you had them for two or three or four minutes and they were like, I want to know the most important thing to you. What would you say? What would that conversation look like? See, when we live for our own self-promotion, we're promoting something that can't save people. But when we practice the better way of being a light for Jesus, we point them to the very one that can save them. So this morning, as believers, we're going to observe communion. There's two things that happen when we observe communion. We remember what Jesus did the light that he, that he shone on us, the light that he gave us through his death, 
burial, and resurrection. So Jesus' blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins. His body was broken for us. So for the believer, it's a time of remembrance. The second thing for a believer is this. It's a time for us to kind of evaluate our own lives. You know, maybe you have narcissistic tendencies and maybe you've fallen prey to self-promotion and you think everything is about how you look to other people and what their opinion of you is. This is a good time for you to just say, you know what? I can't care about those things. What I need to care about is what Jesus desires me to do, about being a light for him. And you know what? All those other things will fall, in pl- all fall into place. So what I want to do is I want to give you a few moments for you to just, you know, be with the Lord and, you know, whatever sin you're struggling with, not just those things. Maybe it's something else that you brought here today and it's kind of like tugging on your heart. Just take a few moments, confess your sins, and then we'll uh, partake together. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. Lord, forgive us if we fall and pray to self-promotion and narcissism, Lord. Remind us that it's not all about us and it's all about you. Remind us, Lord, and help us to live as a light for you. Because you are the light that came to save us. And by that, we can tell others about how they can be saved as well. So I pray, Lord, that you would just use us as a light to this world, to this community, to our workplace, to our school, to our family and our friend groups, and help us to shine that light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.